The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. As we open our ninth season, our guest today will be Harold Holzer, Senior Vice President for Government Relations and Public Affairs at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. Harold Holzer is the author of no fewer than 42 books and 500 articles, more possibly than I have read. He holds the National Humanities Medal, awarded in 2008, among many other recognitions for his work on the imagery of the Civil War era, and in particular, on the life and times of Abraham Lincoln. It will be a pleasure to open our ninth season today with Harold Holzer on Civil War Talk Radio. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the new world headquarters of Civil War Talk Radio in the Brewster Building in Greenville, North Carolina, on the campus of East Carolina University. We're coming to you this year from room A315 instead of A307. It's not a big change just down the hall, but moved from what was the uh, tiny personal office that I've been occupying the last eight years to the office of the department chair, which, although I've been performing the job for several years, never actually got around to moving into the office until this summer, but for one reason or another, partly the shortage of offices on campus, it became uh, important to do that. So it's an odd feeling not looking out the window at the marching band practice as they do uh, repeatedly in the fall season. Uh, I could see them from my old window from the new one, and I'm moving around probably making the sound go funny. Uh, Now I'm looking out at the parking lot and gym and the site of what 30 years ago was a lake but now is a meadow with trees growing in it uh, and 10th street the traffic going by that's unchanged so the view is a little different but uh, the show is the same uh, hopefully uh, as interesting uh, 
to you as it is to me, as it has been in the past. And uh, as always, starting with our legal disclaimer, I'm here on the campus of East Carolina University, but not speaking for the university or its uh, program prioritization committee or the College of Arts and Sciences or any other subdivision. And likewise, our guest will not speak for his august institution, just for himself, and we'll, we'll talk freely that way. Well, it is a, a great pleasure to be starting out a new year with new shows. We have uh, excellent shows lined up already, or excellent guests. Hopefully, uh, the shows will go well, too, for the next uh, few weeks and going on into the fall season. Looking immediately ahead, uh, next week, John Michael Priest will join us. Uh, Mike Priest is the author of a very detailed book about the Battle of Antietam, uh, Soldier's Battle, I believe is the subtitle by White Main Press. And uh, it is for those who like to get down in the weeds, for whom uh, Fonz's three volumes on Gettysburg are, are too much of the big picture. Uh, uh, we, will, we will see what's really going on at the, the individual level. On the 14th, I'll be at Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois, at the Lincoln Studies Center, so no live show that day, but we'll come back September 21 with Christian McWhirter, author of a book called Battle Hymns. We'll be talking about music in the Civil War. And on the 28th, uh, Kevin Levin has a book about memory of the Battle of the Crater, which we'll discuss. Uh, He's been on the show before, but not to talk about this. As the season goes along, we've got other names lined up. Looking forward, hopefully, to getting Bobby Horton on this season. Uh, gotten some calls from the agent of John Jakes, author of the great uh, North and South uh, trilogy, which I have to admit I've never actually read, but if we can get him on the show, I'll have to do that. And uh, I would look forward to the opportunity to do that and talk about it with you. Uh, so all kinds of interesting things coming on. You can find out about them by looking at www.impedimentsofwar.org. That's the Civil War Talk Radio website that tells you who's been on the show, who's going to be on the show, has links to the World Talk Radio site where you can actually hear the show, has links to the archive shows, and it has a PayPal button where you can donate money to the show, more accurately to me. Uh, I take your money and run. It's not a charity. There's no tax deduction. There's no 501c3 involved. Uh, Only the ethical constraints that limit me from actually using it to buy uh, buy whatever I want, I suppose, are in place. So I try to limit it to buying historical materials that end up serving as grist for future shows. And uh, if you are interested, the address for that is civilwartr at aol.com. And your donations are always welcome. I received one over the summer while I was on vacation and didn't have regular email access, and I just sent a note to that listener this morning saying that I remember to acknowledge your uh, generous donation and send you a copy of All for the Regiment or Did Lincoln Own Slaves, which uh, you can get for donating $20 for Did Lincoln Own Slaves or now, alas, $30 for All for the Regiment. Not that the book is worth more, but I'm running out of copies, and so I have to stretch them out a little bit longer hopefully uh, I'll hear back and I did send the book out but if not I'll I'll do that promptly well enough about the show we're here to talk today with an old friend friend of mine and friend of the show 
Harold Holzer is a, a longtime senior executive at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, but is known to everyone in the Civil War field for his work on Abraham Lincoln, his work on the imagery of the Lincoln era, uh, his co-authorship of books about the Link, the Union and Confederate images, as well as the Lincoln image. Uh, he has written an, an astonishing number of books uh, uh, to all levels of readers, uh, has served on the Bicentennial Commission, the Abraham Lincoln Bicentennial Commission, it would take the whole show to list everything he has done and accomplished. He's won the Lincoln Prize, so uh, we won't talk about all of that. But it is a pleasure to have him on. He was the first person on the show, I believe, actually hosted the show for the first several shows before I got involved in 2004 and has been on the show twice before, but not for astonishingly seven years. Harold, are you there? I'm here. I don't remember hosting the show, but I do remember... Joining you as a guest a couple of times, so maybe you, you you're did confusing you, you me host... with Harold Hyman or something, somebody else. No, it it was really you because it was in 2004 under previous ownership at World Talk Radio. They were just getting started, and they had an idea for a show like this. They thought people would listen, and they they were looking for Civil War authorities to do the show. And the first four shows were done by four different people, and you did one of them. And you, either you or they threw, or they contacted me, but you did one and said that was enough. You had other things to do. I have no, absolutely, you know, it's, it's terribly <laughs> sad what's happening generally to my memory, um, about all things except Lincoln. Um, but, um, no, I don't remember. If you say so, I'll add it to my CV immediately. It, well, you should. To be honest, I don't know that I've ever listened to your show. I, I, I assume it's archived somewhere. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, I, now that you've given me all that, I, t- I was jotting down some of the uh, URL information, so I may go back and check this stuff out myself. Yeah, it would, it would be back in, in 04, and uh, Jim McPherson was one of the first guests, and then one or two people that I'd never heard of, and then and then they had some other substitute hosts, and it came around to me for the fourth or fifth or sixth show, and then I and you got was the like, job. This is it was like, like Wally Pip and Lou Gehrig. Well, uh, it's more like a, a, an interesting analogy, but not as precise as the one I'm going to give. It's oh, like right. when um, Johnny Carson retired, and even when Jack Parr retired. But you're too young for that, and, and to know about that. And that's actually a better <laughs> analogy. When Jack Parr retired, uh, there were different people trying out for the birth of the Tonight Show hosting job. And Johnny Carson rose from semi-obscurity to get the job. So, um, and, you know what the, the rest of the story is. He lasted for 25 years. For a good long time, that's right. Well, that, that's, that's sort of what's happened here. It's, it's, it is a good analogy in the media world. I'm, I've been in this and, and stuck with it and, and certainly enjoyed it. Well, you and I, I don't think we've run into each other over the last year or two. Well, uh, you you haven't come lately to the Lincoln Forum. And this gives me an opportunity to tell your listeners that um, that um, we are about to have the 16th annual Lincoln Forum, which Jerry has attended many times. He did it in his former role with the Lincoln Museum. Um, and I think a couple of times since you moved into your professorship. Mode. I have, 
What, and, tell and us this, what the days are for the forum. It's always the same. It's always November 16 to 18. And um, uh, it then leads into the anniversary celebrations of the Gettysburg Address, which is convenient because, as I neglected to say, the event is always held in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And uh, for the last five years, we have featured a sesquicentennial focus uh, on um, on major events and figures of the corresponding period 150 years earlier. So this year, we're focusing on 1862, and we have uh, John Marzalek talking about uh, Grant's rise in the West. We have Craig Simons talking about the war on the Mississippi, and uh, we have Amanda Foreman, a wonderful writer who wrote a terrific book about England, uh, the relationship between England and the Civil War, A World on Fire, a very uh, important book that did not receive the the acclaim and accolade that I think it deserved, by the way. I'll throw that in as my editorial statement of the day. Mm-hmm. I'm going to speak on uh, Lincoln as a commander-in-chief and his war with words, and Frank Williams is going to speak. He's our chairman. And finally, um, I guess, oh, Bud Robertson. That's it's a, for a debut for Bud Robertson at the Lincoln Forum. Um, Bud, of course, is a 80-plus-year-old uh, Civil War historian biographer of Stonewall Jackson, one of the great storytellers of the Civil War. More historians should be storytellers, and if we had the gift that Bud has, we'd all be getting more people interested in history. And finally, Eric Foner, um, who has never been to the forum either and is going to win the annual Richard Nelson Current Award of Achievement which is named after the 99-year-old Dean of Lincoln Scholars, Dick Current. And that's my advertisement. Uh, registration is still open. Anybody who's interested, may I give the URL Please on do. your show? Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, so it's it's very simple. It's www.thelincolnforum, all spelled out as one word, .org, uh, thelincolnforum.org, and um, you can see the registration information and it's pretty reasonable. We don't make any money on it, but we've been organizing it low these many years. And we have as many as 300 people now for these events. And uh, and uh, so it's, we're pretty excited about it. It used to meet at the, the Holiday Inn Battlefield uh, place, and the last few years has moved uh, to the edges Wyndham, of the battlefield. The Wyndham, which is not in the center of town, but it more than makes up in roomy and modern facilities with good sound systems. You know, the Holiday Inn battlefield was a lot of fun. It was cozy. I mean, really cozy. And mm-hmm. But the room, the, the, the big room, had the, the meeting room had pillars um, in it that blocked views. It was like the old Yankee Stadium. Um, and it also had a sound system that uniquely would carry the, what are those radios called that truck drivers use, CB? Oh, yeah, CBs, yes. <laughs> yeah, so you would hear, you know, good-looking woman at 3 o'clock on exit 4, and worse than that, I'm cleaning that up a little bit, um, yes. in the middle of someone's speech about, uh, you know, the Battle of Gettysburg. So it gets a little, we got a little weird. They're also not a Holiday Inn anymore, if that's any indication. If you lose the Holiday Inn imprimatur, I don't know what that says about the facility, but uh, it's a great location. You just walk out and you're in the Jenny Wade House. Uh, um, you know, it's on the battlefield, really. 
but unfortunately it needs I, I think it it's a great property I'd like to buy it and build a like an eight story hotel there if they'd let anyone because it's the it's just the, the the ideal spot alas we're not there but what we do is we run shuttle buses into town we do activities on the battlefield um, and it's a lot of fun well, I, I can't endorse it highly enough I have I, I went to all the Lincoln uh, Forum meetings when it got started. I was still working at the Lincoln Museum. And I have been to a couple since since coming to ECU, but not to all of them any longer. It, it has to do with the academic schedule and other things. I cleverly arranged with uh, the department chair, which is me, to give myself a Tuesday-Thursday teaching schedule this semester, and that means I'm looking at my own calendar here. I don't teach on Friday the 16th. I could actually... Well, there you go. At least I can make this I happen this year. I, I would really like to do it because it's a, it's a fertile ground for guests for this show. When I do come up, I bring a notebook and talk to people. I'd love to have Eric Foner on. Or well, if you Robinson. get Eric, you don't even have to ask him more than one question. <laughs> it's like the classic uh, George Burns and Gracie Allen uh, line. They, I hope people remember who those who these people are that I keep thinking. I think I'm 80 years old the way I'm talking. But <laughs> Burns and Allen, of course. Well, they remember George Burns, I guess. But he was, yeah. of course, part of a duo with his with his wife who died in the 1960s, who was a famous scatterbrained uh, uh, comedian who sort of told nonsensical stories. But they once asked, um, you know, how what his act looked like, and he said, uh, he said, I asked Gracie, "How's your uncle?" And she spoke for 45 years. That's sort of like what Eric is like. It's a long way to that punchline for me, but Eric is so incredibly knowledgeable and he's a new yorker he talks even faster than i um comes from an old i don't know if you know this about eric foner comes from a royalty in radical labor politics in new york city oh philip foner yes philip is the is the historian in the family okay he that, is, well, that, that's what i think of Right, but from, it's from um, his dad and his uncle were labor leaders in the clothing industry, Mo Foner and Henry Foner, and I remember them well from my early days in politics in the 70s. They were about Eric's age now. Um, Eric's like, you know, in his late 60s, and he looks exactly like his father did. It's amazing. Slender and uh, ageless in a funny way, but, you know... Got those jeans to say thin, which is good. I wish I had them. Uh, well, well, we all do. Well, you yeah. you have been thin for a number of years, unless you've, you've changed since since no, last. No, thinner than it. You know, not as thin as I used to be when I when I got sick in the nineties, but uh, pretty good. It uh, takes a village, as they say. Yeah. So, health good. Uh, yes, thank you. Doing well. Everything is doing. Everything is good. I've been working like a dog on. Unexpected summer or springtime. What what season are we in? Summer. Unexpected summer projects that came my way, and I'm just the guy who can't say no. So I said yes, and I paid the price, um, neglecting my own big book and doing two other projects on incredible deadlines. And I just hope that they don't reflect the rush that it took to create them when they come out. Well, what we'll do now is we'll take a short break and do an announcement or two and come back and I'll ask you about those Great. projects and also your your current big book. And okay. we'll, we'll talk more with our guest, Harold Holzer, in just a moment on Civil War Talk Radio. 
have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop, take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Everyone has a belief system that they stand by. It's comfortable and safe. If you believe that a hot stove will burn you, you won't touch it. Sometimes beliefs like this are practical, but some belief systems may be protecting you a little too much. These are the ones that might be holding you back. There's a secret to changing your belief system, and by doing so, achieve goals and live a happier, better life. Start by tuning in to Subconscious Beliefs with Dr. Hein Lambricks, broadcasting live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Are you where you want to be in life? Are you experiencing the happiness that you're entitled to? How'd you like to improve your life and well-being? Take a weekly break to listen to Change Your Mind, Change Your Life with your hosts, Jim and Lynn Swearingen. You'll learn how hypnosis can truly help you rewrite the chapters of your life. You'll also learn to change perceptions of what hypnosis is and what it isn't. Be sure to listen every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. We're talking today with Harold Holzer, author of numerous books, articles, other publications on the era of the Civil War. He is officially the Senior Vice President for Government Relations and Public Affairs at the Metropolitan Museum of Art for a day job, but he uses his spare time to be more productive than any other three historians put together that I know of. And, Harold, at the end of the uh, first segment, you mentioned you've, you've got a couple of projects, but when you had the title change to uh, uh, the Senior Vice President for Government Relations and Public Affairs, the impression I got from the press release from your employer was that uh, you would have a little more free time, that this was a, a, a chance to focus on your, your, your writing activities and less time in the office, but it sounds like you're busier than ever. I know, and, and by the way, I didn't correct you, but I will, I might as well since you've mentioned my, my, what is actually an impending change, not a change that's happened yet. So officially I'm still senior vice president for external affairs at the Met. Oh. Uh, and that's, and some of that day to day responsibility is what I'm going to give up hopefully in January, but not until then. And that's when I assume the new title and, oh, um, okay. yeah, and I... get an extra day, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'll be working on uh, Fridays on Lincoln instead of uh, working using vacation days to travel and do research and write. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. You know, I've loved every second of the administrative part of my job at the Met, but mm-hmm. I think focusing on the government relations and st- strategic things uh, after 20 years of, of administrative responsibilities will be will be pretty good, and I hope useful. And yes, I've managed to do these two unexpected projects despite not having the change yet. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I, you sent. Uh, you know, I saw the the press release and right. I didn't read it closely enough that that's all perspective as of the beginning of the new year. Exactly. If they find okay. a marketing wizard to take that part of my job away, well, well, hopefully. best best of luck. Thank uh, you. Certainly with that. So, tell us about these summer projects. Well, the first is um, 
the New York Historical Society, um, which, by the way, I you know might as well let the cat out of the bag a little bit. I'm going to begin working for um, in January as a Hertog Fellow, a research fellow. Um, so giving you know me some uh, another um, institutional. Uh, connection when I relinquished my administrative work at the Met. Um, they decided to do a book, frankly inspired by uh, a volume you may have heard of. Um, it's called The History of the World in 100 Objects from the uh, um, Collections of the British Museum. It was written by Neil McGregor, the director of the British Museum, and it's a wonderful walk through history. It's, you know, from the Rosetta Stone to a yo-yo, actually, I think literally. Uh, everything in the British Museum that covers every generation of history from prehistory to now. So the Historical Society came up with an idea of doing, what if we do the history of the Civil War in 50 objects from the New York Historical Society? So it sounded easy enough. My first question was, do you have 50 objects that tell the story? <laughs> and boy, do they. Do they ever? I mean, I didn't even know they had some of these things, and I've been using this place for years. I mean, you start with the shackles that a slave wore, a child wore, manacles of a child, of a, of a, of a, uh, a young slave, um, to um, early photographs of Sumter by a Charleston photographer, a cipher key that General Beauregard's aide-de-camp used to get coded messages during Bull Run, um, the, the documents uh, of, the, of the draft riots and the burning of the so-called Colored Orphans Asylum in 1863, uh, Colonel Eli Parker's copy of the Terms of Surrender that Grant wrote with a duplicating machine at, at Appomattox on April 9, 1865, a terrific copy of the 13th Amendment. And um, the book ends um, with... Um, I mean, it starts with slave chains, and it ends that were shackling the arm of a child, obviously. And if I can think of how to write this in the introduction, that's what I'm waiting for. That's the uh -huh. last inspiration I need. And it ends with a sample letter by a wounded, by a disabled Civil War veteran using a prosthetic arm to wow. write. I mean, one arm shackled and one arm, one false arm liberated. It's a little corny, but that really is the arc of this book. So that's what we did, and they, you know, they took all new photographs. Oh, they have the, uh, the draft, a draft wheel that was used to draw conscripts' names on the Lower East Side of New York on July thirteenth, eighteen sixty-three. They have a complete zouave uniform. Really great stuff, and you know, it. it, it I so with a sort of a two thousand word essay for each of the items and. Uh, my friend Eric Foner, who you just mentioned, wrote a general introduction about the Civil War. So that was one project. Now I'll just have that, to catch my breath. I, I see that sounds fascinating. And as as a museum person myself, the, uh, the 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 problem is never really finding the objects as much as it is selecting from. Oh, I know. Choice. Things had, the winnowing down is painful. Do you know yes. what we found there, Jerry? You'll be particularly interested in this. We've known for years that um, the Huntington Library owns this very curious um, handwritten estimate of how the electoral votes would turn out in 1864 that Lincoln jotted down in the telegraph office of the War Department one day in October 1864, thinking of you know, how he was going to cobble together enough votes to win re-election. 
and he, he figured it out, even conceding New York, Illinois, and Indiana, that he would still win by two votes, um, and added Nevada at the end because it had just been admitted to the Union. Well, the New York Historical Society has a copy made two weeks before that, the same exact tally except without Nevada. Now, it's very curious that he would do yes. it twice, but there it is, and I never knew they had it. And, uh, you know, as a, as a Lincoln guy, I, I think you'd be particularly interested in seeing that. Sure, and, and I mean, you've heard the same story that Lincoln engineered the admission of Nevada to get its electoral votes, and that almost seems to disprove it. Uh, yeah, well, he, he, he exactly, because he, he seems to have had it the first time by two votes, and then he added three, and of course he did, you know, brilliantly on election day because he won new york indiana and he won everything except new jersey really and kentucky Mm -hmm. or whatever it was um Mm -hmm. i know but um um why he wrote it twice exactly the same way is is a mystery to me um it it does suggest it was on his mind a great deal that he was thinking about it it's interesting though that in Two weeks. Two weeks had passed. One, I think, is written before the state elections begin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the state elections that are going on in the earlier part of the autumn of that year for governor and other local races, uh, you know, show him doing really well in Pennsylvania and Indiana. So I don't know why he didn't let himself have Indiana the second time he wrote mm-hmm. all this down. Because the, the Republicans won handily in Indiana in the, in the October elections. It's all very curious. I just hope one of them isn't a fake. <laughs> like, no, that's true. <laughs> but they're both in pencil. The Nevada that he added in uh, the Huntington copy was added in ink. But uh, you raise an interesting question. This may be a little bit of inside baseball, but um, I hope that your listeners like that kind of thing. Um, you right. know, Nevada that's what they're here for. admitted was it admitted for the electoral count, or was it admitted to to bring in two or three more congressional votes? for the 13th Amendment. Oh. I'd like to think he did it for the 13th Amendment. That, that would make more sense. You know, I'm reading a, a book right now, I, I hesitate even to mention it. It, 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 it was sent me to review about the election of 1864, and it's not, um, and, uh, you know, my mother has taught me not to say anything if you don't have anything nice to say, and I don't have anything nice to say about this book, and I'm kind of, questioning if I should just say everything I really think about it in the review. I think you should say what the book is. Uh, well, I, I, the listeners will find out. I, I'll, I'll wait, wait till I write the review. It'll be on H. Civ War for those who... Well, you'll have, I'll have to email you offline to get this information. I'll do that. Of course, your, your colleague at school wrote such a terrific book about yes. the campaign of 1864 that I don't know that another one is really needed, but I guess we're in anniversary fever, but David Long's The Fate of Liberty... Exactly. Is, uh, is it it, yes, uh, David Long's book and 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 John Waugh has uh, certainly John Waugh's a book interesting is okay, book. But David's is uh, the reason I I always thought David's was terrific, particularly terrific, and um, you know, very useful to me as an historian is because of the the prodigious original research that went into it. It's you exactly. know, Jack is a great storyteller, and I I love him. David is. Uh, his research abilities are, are brilliant, and he found out some things about the production of Lincoln images that I didn't know, and I'm supposed to know everything about that. So um, you're never too old to learn, and David really got to the bottom of a an abiding mystery and, and also in disproved a contention that I've always had that Prince 
of Abraham Lincoln were not politically motivated. David actually found out that in 1864 there were a sizable number of pictures that were definitely not created for commercial reasons but created exclusively for political and that makes it a an exception to the long-standing rule that I thought I'd established firmly. So hats off to him for that. Great book. Absolutely. It, it's a fine look book and and I, I completely agree with you. There's really no crying need for a new book on the 1864 election with the jewel of liberty in place as the standard academic Oh, I'm sorry, I said academic the of liberty. Work. That's Mark Neely's book. The Jewel of Liberty, exactly. The Jewel of Liberty, that's right. The Jewel sorry of Liberty, and then you've got, and, and John Waugh's book is, is, as you say, a popular storytelling yeah. style book, so if that's what you want, you've got that. So this, this third book is unnecessary. But I'm sure it won't be but, the last, because you know, we're only really looking at the 150th of 2012 now, and of course you've got you know new books on Antietam. I've just put down um, Lewis Mazur's book. I don't know if you've heard about this one. No, uh, I haven't Lu- read it yet. Uh, yeah, Lincoln's Hundred Days. It, no, I've it, seen it advertised. Uh, it's quite good, and and uh, um, Jim Oaks has a new book called Freedom National that's coming out in December. That is going to make some daring statements about. Uh, who deserves credit for emancipation? Yeah, um, I, I talked with him last year at the uh, the Lincoln Study Center at Knox College, and we were discussing that book. And I agree, it will certainly get some discussion going. Yeah, and boy, he's a he is a very very fine writer. I must say, yes. his, his writing yes. style is just wonderful. So anyway, lots of good stuff. So that's why I was surprised that uh, the twenty fourteen uh, period, which I would assume will inspire books about the 1864 campaign, I'm surprised that your your new favorite has jumped the gun. Yes, well, it, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, I don't think there was much thought put behind this particular book, but let's not anonymously assassinate this lad's character any further. Um, the, uh, uh, that, that's one project you've got dealing with the objects. Oh, I thought uh, you'd forgot. Objects. I have to do it, I have to remind you myself. You've, you've got another project, too. Yes. Okay, so here's the next phone call that comes. Um, I should tell you that last year, some, or maybe it was this year, I was called by my friend Tony Kushner, the playwright, and asked if I would read his screenplay for the Spielberg movie before it went into production. So I had a lot of fun going over it and working, you know, not working with Tony, but, you know, having a couple of meetings and going over. And I think people know who he is. He's the he's the man who wrote Angels in America. He's, you know, probably the most brilliant playwright in the country. Um, and um, so that was one aspect of this, and I'm not even sure if this triggered what happened next, but um, even though I never got to visit the set, as promised, I will live with oh. that. Resentment for um, uh, for a long time. As long as necessary. As long as necessary. Well, you know me. I don't forget. <laughs> it could be a I, while, but <laughs> yeah, I was supposed to go and see Daniel Day Lewis, and they, he apparently clammed up and wouldn't allow even his mother to come on the set. I don't know. He's, he's a strange dude, I gather. But I got called um, by the Disney um, slash um, what is DreamWorks people. And I was asked if I would like to write the young readers 
or young adult, I think they call the market, companion book. Now, this movie is inspiring no, no fewer than three companion books, from what I understand. Um, and this was the young adult companion book. So I said, what the heck, you know, I'm not going anywhere this summer. I'm going to be tethered to my my computer, and I did that as well. And it's like one of the great rush jobs because the movie was originally going to open on the December 28th, so it could qualify for Academy Award consideration, and instead they moved it up to November 9th. Mm. So it was a sort of a real hurry-up thing, but I've written a couple of young adult books, three You wrote a very good books. one on the assassination, I know. I've yeah, I did that, and I, that did, somewhere. I did a book of letters, um, a Lincoln Letters and Speeches designed for young readers, and I also did a book called Father Abraham, Lincoln and His Sons, Yes, which I'm particularly proud of. It's really good. It's fun. I started doing young adult books when my kids were young, and Jerry and I both have young have daughters. I shouldn't say young because yours are grown up now too. I guess. Well, yours um, are, are have flown the nest. Mine are mine high have, school, and college. Yeah, but it's it's the nest flying is good, very yes. natural, very great relief. But now yeah, actually good. we have I've closed all my doors because my five year old grandson is here today. Five, who, wow. And who loves American history, loves presidents, um, but. Has decided that his favorite presidents are Warren Harding, um, Ronald Reagan, and Richard Nixon. <laughs> he also has written a letter to President Bush, um, saying, "Dear President Bush, I wish you were still president." And wrote a letter to Newt Gingrich, saying, "Dear Newt, I wish you had become president." And has now an, has an active correspondence with both. President Bush and Newt Gingrich, both of whom think this is the funniest thing that's ever happened to them and me. Well, they, they uh, knowing your political right. uh, persuasion, uh, <laughs> well, I got there must no be an intervening to... generation there between you and the grandchildren. I, I think he's just doing it to be contrary, but we'll see. If he wants to be a Republican I, and a conservative Republican, I will love him nonetheless. Exactly. We'll have his head examined, but that's another story. But uh, Gingrich, well, as you know, you know, is has written novels about the Civil War. Um, he has. I'm, I'm, let me step in, and we're going to take another short break and, and come back and talk more also about your, your big ongoing project. Okay. Uh, but we'll take another short break now. We're talking today with Harold Holzer. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. World Talk Radio presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? 
make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Harold Holzer from the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Still in his old job, soon to be new job there, but mostly for our purposes, the author of numerous works on Lincoln and the Civil War era and working on new things all the time. We talked in the last segment about a uh, fascinating production, uh, a book based on 50 objects at the New York Historical Society, 50 objects that tell the story of the Civil War. Uh, Harold's working on a, a young reader's version uh, companion book to accompany the new Lincoln movie out this fall, uh, and it, if it's not one thing, it's another. Uh, right. All kinds of new projects, uh, but you've also written some some very substantial uh, books, uh, big books, we'll call them. I'm looking at one here, Lincoln President Elect from uh, 2008, uh, that was the first really detailed look at the period between the election of Abraham Lincoln in 1860 and the uh, the, the uh, inauguration in 1861 and the beginning of the war. And you've written other uh, important books. Uh, the Cooper Union book, of course, uh, uh, comes to mind. Uh, so is that, do you have something of that scope uh, in the works now? Yeah, uh, slowly but surely. Um, I'm doing a book on the press in the age of Lincoln. Mm. Which I think sort of the the idea behind it, I guess the inspiration for me behind it was it sort of brings together all of the things that I've worked on and known about over the years. Uh, Lincoln's skill as a public relations person, and you know something that I've done professionally for almost forty years, um, and. Um, looking at how the press functioned almost as a public relations agent for various political parties over the course of Lincoln's professional career. And it's uh, talk about a joint biography. It is a biography of the press and Lincoln and Douglas and some of the leading characters in the media and how they worked either uh, not as subject and reporter of the great events of that period, but really as either proponent or opponents of each other in one big tangle. Well, it, it does look like a uh, a big tangle, certainly. Has what has been written on this topic that's that, that paves the way for this? Well, I mean, there are collections like you know Herbert Mitgang. Herbert Mitgang's great collection, which is really you know a series of excerpts from domestic and foreign publications in response to the great activities of of Lincoln's career. Uh, there's also a book called Lincoln and the Press by Robert Harper that was written in the 40s and still, you know, it's, it's, it's a very good overview of, uh, of again how the press treated Lincoln. Um, and there have been wonderful collections of, of, uh, of, um, reportage of the Civil War. 
what there hasn't been is sort of an, a, a biography or a history that 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 considers the political and press developments as operating in tandem, rather than again as a reporter and subject of uh, of inquiry. And that's what that's what I want to do. And of course, you know, it's it's, it's the the un, the untapped press. You know, there's still so much out there, so richly written uh, about the press and. Um, and what I wanted to do as well was um, make it a joint biography, and I, I guess I'm making it a joint biography of Lincoln and, and Stephen A. Douglas um, uh, for most of the book, um, and then interspersing the, the journalists who covered them in Springfield, then in Chicago, then in New York, and ultimately in Washington. But the prime focus of the book is the three leading characters of New York journalism, Horace Greeley of the New York Tribune, um, um, Jamie Bennett of the New York Herald, and Henry Raymond of the New York Times. Three more different people you could not imagine. Um, two of them probably certifiably crazy, you know, what we would call certifiable, I guess. Um, and one of them tough and very serious, that's the New York Times guy, wouldn't you know? So I've and and I'll tell you, hats off to people like Doris Goodwin and Amanda Foreman, who can juggle lots of characters and write a joint biography that flows and doesn't let the readers lose the, the context and the thread of the main story. It is hard, but we'll see. Well, that is very promising. It's something uh, I know all listeners to the show will look forward to. In terms of writing a, a big book, you recently contributed to a really big book uh, called Lincoln Life Size. Uh, right. That that uh, the the gimmick was every photo would have Lincoln's face reproduced life size. So if it was you know the photo of Lincoln and McCall and Antietam, he just blew up the 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 face of Lincoln until it filled the whole page and. Uh, and, and into and pixelated beyond recognition, of course. It, of course, in for, for the little dots at the inaugural speeches, it turned into a big blob. Yeah. Uh, that part of it, I thought, was kind of, you know, silly actually. But it was a very curious book because it also included a complete new reorganization of all the known photos of Lincoln, replacing and, you know, the Ostendorf numbers. That was how it was started out, and that okay. was why I wrote agreed to write the introduction, because the Cunharts, who of course are the descendants of the Mazur family, the pioneer collectors and um, chroniclers of, of uh, Lincoln photographs, um, um, decided to do a new listing. And, you know, they didn't find any new photographs, sadly, which previous generations of, of those compilers always seemed to do. Stephen Laurent in the 40s and 50s, Lloyd Ostendorf, in the 60s, uh, 70s, 80s, 90s. Lloyd yeah. went on for a long time. He found a few too many pictures, as it turns out. True. Some of them weren't real. But um, So they wanted to step back, and I guess it, it proved that you know there wasn't enough there there you know, to do a book just based on the compendium. It was too much of what I just referred to as inside baseball. So they decided on this gimmick. And, of course, you know, they, they, have, they, they create, and package their books beautifully, yes, and it's um, so it's very attractive. But I'm not sure it was it made it it caused enough of a uh, stir because it sort of deserved a stir. 
Well, it was interesting. I, I you know, was given a, a copy to review, and I thought, well, it's, this is a gimmick book. You know, it was kind of beneath the Cunards to do something like this. And then I discovered, no, they've they've replaced the Ostendorf numbers, and, and many listeners will know that every Lincoln photograph had its own Ostendorf number, so those playing inside baseball can say, oh, that's an 031, and you knew what, what was meant. Um, but... And, and there are and what are they now? I forgot what they've calling. Them. I forgot which one was thirty one. But no, but I mean, what are they saying now? They're not saying K numbers. No, were they? Were they, they weren't M numbers because that was. But M was uh, the great grandfather. That was the Missouri numbers. The Missouri system. The, the L numbers for Laurent. Right. And boy, was he upset when they were replaced by O numbers. Yes. Those were two guys who did not play nicely together. Ah. Uh, They're both gone, I, so we can talk about it now. Right. I, I see more the book on my shelf, but I can't reach it with the headphones on, so I, I don't know what the num- new numbering system is. But I, I will tell our listeners that your introduction and the new numbering system were certainly worth the price of admission for that book. If well, not it, it had a heavy price pictures. of admission for those who didn't get a review copy, but yeah. it's fine. You know, it's, um, they are, they're very gifted people, and it's funny how that, you know, I, I think the Meserve story, which, by the way, you know, Carl Sandburg wrote a book called Lincoln Collector, a yes. substantial book about Frederick Hill Meserve, which is really a wonderful, wonderful book. As all Sandberg's books are, by the way. It's my yes, new yes. theory about Sandberg, but, um, it's a terrific book. It's about how, you know, Meserve got his, um, it's called The Photographs of Lincoln, and mm-hmm. it's got a, um, 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 a big introduction about how Meserve uh, got his act together and just sort of saw pictures being swept into the trash one day and said, what are those? And they said, glass negatives. And he said, may I have them? And they said, you're welcome to them as long as I don't have to sweep them up. And that's how he began collecting the glass negatives of the Brady studio and rescued them from oblivion and then made new prints in a private uh, a private edition, which this this Sandberg project made more public, and then um, um, his daughter carried on the tradition. Dorothy Meserve Kuhnhart, who was a uh, a very fine writer and wrote Twenty Days with her son mm-hmm. Philip Kuhnhart, and meanwhile Dorothy Kuhnhart was writing one of the best selling books of the entire twentieth century called Pat the Bunny which made enough really? money so the family can keep re- reading about Lincoln. Everybody, I'm sure, knows what that book is. Pat the Bunny, wow. Yeah. That's Dorothy Kuhnhart. Okay, interesting. And, yeah. I never put that together. I, I know, it's amazing. I mean, can you yeah. imagine? I think that book has sold 20 million copies. Uh, yeah. Every and, and is designed to be fragile enough so that every parent has to buy two copies. Yes, yes, especially they if they have two apart, children because they don't last. They, they don't. That's a fascinating. And then, and then uh, Phil Kuhnhart, the grandson, had his own uh, Phil Kuhnhart, who is a minister and a scholar, and they became filmmakers. And now there's a new generation, Peter Junior, and mm-hmm. it's amazing. It's five generations of people devoted to, you know, understanding and and preserving and promoting the image of Abraham Lincoln. Let me ask you this: With all that going on, and you've already described your press project as one thing that, that has not been done thoroughly. Uh, what's what's left to do in the Lincoln world? Uh, had to, has the Lincoln theme been exhausted? As, as James Randall 
once asked. Listen, if I'm not exhausted, I don't think the theme has any right to be exhausted. <laughs> I know that's a great question that we ask every 25 years or so. And we do, but, but I we, think you're, you're an appropriate person to address it. You know, I think we're in a good period now because we are doing very focused but very in-depth re-explorations of the corresponding events of 150 years before. So you have two really good books, and I also have an emancipation book out this season, so we're really focused on emancipation. Um, I don't think we're breaking tremendously new ground, but we're coming up with wonderful narratives and um, uh, provocative new approaches is there anything new? I don't know. Is uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if there was, but I can't imagine if I knew what it was, I'd do it myself. I mean, the press, again, is around the edges, and Amanda Foreman's book about foreign policy is around the edges. But uh, I don't think the theme has been exhausted. I think every generation will will wonder, will want a... Um, a Lincoln biography. Uh, I think we're seeing Grant biographies being published now, which will have some relevance to the Lincoln story. And we do. Uh, my, my colleague, I have a colleague here in the department who's working on one for uh, really for, for the Kansas series. And uh, ah, and uh, Ronald White be. is writing one. Mm-hmm. And the great. I think, Ron I think they're aware Chernow of each other. Yes. Pardon? And Ron Chernow is writing a Grant biography. Yeah. So two so, Rons. Yes, and and, uh, and Chuck Calhoun, and he's pushing at, at those other two. So, the uh, well, I guess it, it, you make a good point. We don't know what's new and yet to be done out there till till we till it's done, or we would do it ourselves. Exactly. It seems to me in in the nineties, Lincoln's religion was taken seriously for the first time in many decades, and people like Alan Gelzo began to write. Uh, uh, you know, thoughtfully and perceptively about what Lincoln believed, not just in a spirit of "oh, he believed like I do," uh, but yeah, but to really analyze it. And you know, there were other things that flashed in the pan. Uh, different individuals trying to say Lincoln's just like me and write a book that showed that. Uh, but well, the depression book and the and the homosexuality book. And, those are the two I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. One's a lot better than the other. Yeah, uh, I think Josh Schenk's book is, is quite good. Yeah, but uh, it comes with, as you as you as you point out, you know, I'm very fond of Josh, and also think he's a terrific writer. But I think he comes at it uh, as a person who suffers from depression and would welcome Lincoln in his ranks. You know, there, exactly. there's yeah. also a you know a persistent. Anti-Lincoln literature that you know has a new outpouring every generation, and um, there's always this schizophrenic attitude toward Lincoln. They, on the one hand, conservatives and progressives are forever claiming him as as their own, um, even though he can't really be all things to all people. And at the same time, there is an uh, an anti-Lincoln literature that a guy like Thomas D. Lorenzo. Um, yeah. um, you know, uh, is the leader of now, and of course his is a sort of a, you know, a, uh, in my view, a racist state rights, um, um, hyper libertarian, yeah, libertarian pillaring yeah. of Lincoln for every yeah. ill that society has 
endured if you consider them ills like big government and immigration and everything exactly. else. And, and ironically, you also have Lerone Bennett coming at the absolutely opposite flank, uh, attacking Lincoln. Harold, I have to say that I've never been more sorry to say we've got to the end of the hour and we're out of time. Well, don't wait four uh, years. Let's do it again. We'll do it again soon. It's, it's been a pleasure having you. Listeners, uh, go to any bookstore. There will be books in the plural by Harold Holzer on the shelves. And if you haven't read them all, go get them. Uh, you'll get them find it worthwhile. And Harold, thanks so much for being on the show. And, and uh, I'll, I'll go to the forum and I'll see you in November. Jerry, great talking to you. And listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. <laughs>